why us? What have we done to deserve this? It's really unfair. And even a feeling of, you know, the banks, our clients, by not giving us work, were effectively punishing the victim of a crime. You know, rather than working with us and all the corporates banding together, if you like, against cyber attackers, it almost felt like we were being thrown under the bus. Ah, cybersecurity. It's something that could impact any company at any time. It seems so unfair, yet it can derail and substantially impact on the sustainability of a business. That's exactly what happened to Landmark White, a property valuation and consultancy business listed on the ASX in Australia, which is now rebranded into a new name, Acumentis. In early 2019, they had a major data security breach. A few months later, as the stormy waters calmed, they took another hit. I'm James Lush, and in our first episode, we hear from the CFO of the company, John Wise. Today, on Then This Happened, when a cyber attack becomes a reality. Welcome to the new business podcast, Then This Happened, brought to you by the CFO magazine. That initial week or so, it was, yeah, I suppose we were in blissful ignorance. We, we, we genuinely thought that this was a, an administrative matter. Um, you know, it needed focus, it needed urgent attention, that things needed to be done. But it was relatively contained um, and wouldn't have an ongoing impact. How, how, how wrong we were. Were you ever aware that it was going to be something as significant as this? At what point did that turn? So, you know, the first few days, the, the first bit was really trying to catalogue, trying to get hold of the data to understand the depth and breadth of the data that was out there. So this company that actually found the data in the first place, we actually engaged them to try and download it. So, so tell me, at, at what point did you realise that actually if if this did get out, it was going to damage your reputation and potentially lead to the banks kind of pulling the plug on what they'd been employing you for? Well, that, that happened fairly quickly. So the first... Uh, First inkling that there was some data out there was early in February. By about the third week in February, uh, one or two of the banks had started suspending using our services. And that sort of snowballed. So, you know, the bank, the banks in Australia tend to, the big banks tend to move in lockstep. You know, it's not a surprise to anybody, you know, interest rates go up, interest rates go down. They all tend to move pretty much at the same time and pretty much with the same percentages. And it was the same thing here as one or two of the banks uh, suspended us. The other big ones followed. And then the next tier down, who don't have, their, don't have the same degree of internal resources to understand the situation, basically say, well, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. The big four have suspended them. It's probably a good idea if we suspend um, LMW, as, as we were then called, from performing services for us. And John, when when that was going on, almost like dominoes, one went, then they all all went. Tell me what you were going through as a CFO, knowing the repercussions of that from a business perspective. Yeah, well, obviously... Um, yeah, the first thing you think about is is cash flow. So without revenue coming in the door, 
no business can survive very long. And for a professional services business where, you know, 60, 70% of your cost is actually wage cost, you know, it's even worse. It's not like you've got room to move. You can't stop paying people. You can't even stretch them. You know, if, you, if you're talking about a supply chain in a manufacturing company, there's ways and means um, of, of trying to stretch your payments a little bit and buy yourself a bit of time. But with wages, you know, there's, there's no flexibility. You must pay wages on payday. So the initial thought was, well, how long can the company survive and what does our cash flow actually look like and pretty quickly one of the first things that i did was put together a pretty detailed pretty sophisticated cash flow modeling uh, program looking at cash flows on a daily basis and we can track you know, how many valuations we do on a day we know the average fees we know when when we get paid etc so we were actually mapping out on a daily basis, initially through until uh, 30 June 2020, what our daily cash flows would look like. With the company in potential free fall and everything happening so rapidly, it needed all hands on deck. Loyalty was tested. Trust needed to be rebuilt. We were talking to the banks every day. We had weekly meetings with the cyber experts, the IT experts at the bank and our people and our independent experts. So very quickly, we mobilized, with the help of our insurers, forensic IT to actually get to the bottom of all this data and analyze it. We had the legal guys. We also had data security experts and we had a PR firm all involved um, and coordinated by the legal guys on behalf of our cyber insurers. So we had, you know, suddenly we went from a team of three or four senior executives managing it internally to having double that size and a bit more of experts that have actually been there and done this before. So that was, you know, a godsend. Without that, as I said before, we wouldn't, you know, we'd have really struggled because you just don't know what what you need to do. There's no playbook for this. Yeah, and publicly, though, you were also taking a hit uh, on the share market. You, as I said, within 12 months, you, your, your share price is a third of what it was then. And, and that must have been a real concern. Yeah, so initially, we needed to understand how long the suspensions of the banks would be. And the understanding was always they needed to suspend us until they understood the extent of this, and then they would you know, reevaluate and reinstate us. So it was always talked of as a temporary suspension. As it dragged on beyond a few weeks, though, we had to make the decision that we needed to suspend our shares from the ASX. And so this was the real crunch. Like to do that is is not something that you do willingly. Uh, you know, it, it's a fairly major step to suspend your shares. So, and we had to do that because we felt the market was uninformed about what the future of the company was, particularly when the revenues would return, what the profits would be, and, you know, the survival plan almost for the company. Were you conscious that potentially this, this ship was leaking so much it could go down? Oh, absolutely. You know, quite early on, as well as all of the consultants that were assisting us mitigate the data breach, 
we retained um, an accounting firm and a legal firm to uh, provide guidance to the directors on the, the safe harbor provisions of the corporation's law. So obviously, if you're bleeding cash um, and you don't have a clear sight as to when the revenue will return, there's a real danger that the directors can end up running a company that's trading insolvently. Um, and that brings not only problems for the shareholders and the individuals, the employees of the company, uh, but potentially you know, personal um, criminal cases against the directors. So mm. very soon that was like, whoa, you know, what are, what are we actually looking at here as directors of this company and officers of this company? Are we at a point where we would trade insolvently? It got to the end of March last year. So the first incident was February. Got to March and we'd managed to get the majority of the banks reinstated. We'd actually, sorry, it was May, not March, uh, end of May. Our revenues were returning and it looked as though we were pretty much through it. Unfortunately, that's when the second incident happened. And this time, some data was stolen and published on the clear web. And the nature of that information was much closer. You know, it was no longer an electronic dump of data from a database. This was documents, spreadsheets, Word documents, PDFs, photographs, things like that. So it was clearly extracted from a network drive. So it was very different. And at that point in time, whilst we'd had suspicions earlier that this had to be somebody close to the business, with that second breach, it was absolutely certain that it was, you know, in inverted commas, an inside job, that somebody who had access to our network drives had grabbed these documents and a completely random selection of documents and just thrown them up on a website. It was at that point in time that we called the police and the cyber police. How did you feel on a, on a personal level? Because you, you you were the CFO. Many people would be looking for you. Um, the shareholders are probably looking for explanation from you. Obviously, having to talk to police as well as the CFO. How did you feel about this? What was it doing to you, stress wise? Oh, yeah. It's sort of you, you definitely got a sick, sickening feeling. You're definitely going, you know, why, why is this happening? Why is this happening to us? You know, why, why has somebody got it in for the company? You know, what are, the, what are they trying to achieve here? I suppose from a personal point of view, it sound, probably sounds a bit trite, but I've always been quite good at compartmentalizing. You know, I've done stressful jobs for many years and I've been very good at, keeping the business away from the private and actually being able to relax outside of what's going on at work. And so I've managed to still do that. But every minute, every hour, every day, and very long days at work was spent focusing on this. Um, for the majority of, of 2019 and even into 2020, yeah, I would say 80% of my time was spent just on this matter, um, trying to resolve this matter. And then this happened. Surviving something like this, you learn a lot. 
you know, I've, I've learned stuff in the last 12 months that I hadn't learned in the 30 years of being, uh, you know, chartered accountant and CFO. And in the current day and age where, you know, the extent of cyber attacks is growing exponentially, yeah, having that knowledge and skill set isn't a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and t- tell me from j- just briefly, we're getting to the end of the podcast. I'm really interested in to know how you felt as well seeing this company lose its value. The shareholders obviously uh, ran for cover as well. Um, on a daily basis, you'd see the share price sliding. That must have been extremely worrying. Yeah, a, a real worry. And I, I think a, a feeling of the unfairness of it. You know, these people were getting hurt and you know a big chunk of our shareholder base are mum and dad shareholders superannuation funds you know we don't have that many large institutional investors um, on our on our books on our registry so you really felt as though it was unfair on the company and on our shareholders and on our staff as well so you know something that a lot of people probably don't realize is that, you know, a lot of our staff, half of their remuneration was based on, you know, work throughput volumes. Effectively, the more valuations people write, the more they get paid. And so a lot of our staff were taking severe pay cuts through last year. They were effectively taking home half of what they would normally take home. And, you know, some of them had to leave. A lot of them didn't. Like our our staff were incredibly loyal all the way through. And the ones that did leave voluntarily, it was really because they couldn't afford their mortgage and they couldn't afford to put their kids through school or whatever. Like they were literally ran out of money. And so they had to go and look for other jobs. Some of them left the industry. Some of them did go to our competitors. Our competitors did uh, try and pick off our staff. Uh, but fortunately, um, you know, that loyalty factor, most of them stuck with us. But yeah, you know, it's, it's probably all the way through just a feeling of why us, what have we done to deserve this? It's really unfair. Um, and even a feeling of, you know, the banks, our clients, by not giving us work, were effectively punishing the victim of a crime. You know, rather than working with us um, and all the corporates banding together, if you like, against cyber attackers... Um, it almost felt like we were being thrown under the bus. Um, so it was, yeah, it was quite, quite frustrating and quite uh, just a feeling of, of why us and how unfair the world was as this was all happening. Very dramatic footage as well. When we cut to the chase, the, 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 the person responsible was, was arrested by police. That ended up on the news, seven o'clock news. Um, obviously, more coverage for the business, potential more brand damage we're just going to speed forward that the, the person that they are charging is in is in jail yet to be sentenced but what does what does it mean for the business now you've you've rebranded so in other words you've lost the name that was landmark white is is no longer you had to rebrand to hopefully shake off the past do you feel you've turned the corner now and things can improve yeah absolutely so i think early on quite a few of our clients yeah, we kept saying, what do we need to do to prove ourselves? Um, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's, we've announced that we, you know, did the world's fastest ISO 27001 accreditation. You know, we did that in three months, uh, which is a data security international standard. 
Um, we've also embarked and, and completed an IRAP, which is the government equivalent certification. So that all proved that you know what we had in place um, uh, was secure going forward. Quite a few of our clients jokingly said, "Well, yeah, if somebody's arrested, then we'll know that um, you're safe, and it can't happen again." Sort of thing in inverted commas. So when it happened, we thought, "Oh, well, that's that's good. You know, they've arrested somebody." That sort of vindicates a little bit the stance that the, the company had taken through the middle part of 2019, saying, you know, this is not weak IT. This is actually a trusted person on the inside attacking us, trying to kill the company effectively. Um, and so we felt that the arrest would actually um, draw a line under this incident and allow us to move forward. It did, but it still took a long time for um, the revenues to return. Um, and we're getting close now, but we're still not you know, 100% back to where we were. Do you, do you, st- do you see this, John, as a, a cybersecurity attack or, or, or more an internal security data breach? Oh, look, it's, it's, it's one of those things. So the first attack was via um, an API, so a program interface between two two interfaces, you know, it takes somebody with um, a degree of IT expertise and whatever. That was, in inverters, a hack. Um, But it wasn't somebody that had actually completely come from the outside. You know, it was somebody who knew where the data was, how the API worked, et cetera, et cetera. So they had a real leg up. And they had secure access to our data to do their job. So... um, you know, it's it's a bit like um, you, you have to give staff, this was a contractor, but you have to give people in a position of uh, responsibility the level of access to do their job. So it was perfectly appropriate for this person to have that level of access. The second one, obviously, was no longer um, an IT techo Uh, extraction of data it was a much more you know you or I could do it you know if you can open up a Windows Explorer grab a load of files email them to yourself or copy them to a a disk or a USB drive or something like that like the second one was much more low level so you know was it a cyber attack well by definition yes because data was stolen and and used for uh, means that it wasn't intended for but it was very much as well uh, an individual um, in a position of trust. Um, you know, and he'd been with one of the companies that we acquired for over 12 years. Um, so you, know, you always talk about vetting staff. Well, when you acquire a company and one of the contractors that supports their IT has been with them for 12 years, you sort of think that that's a pretty good vetting. <laughs> Um, and you shouldn't need to worry about that sort of person. But, you know, it just shows you that, um, yeah, unfortunately, um, and it, it goes against human nature, you know, can you trust anybody? So what do we take out of this story? What steps would John advise be put in place to prevent something like this happening in your company? On a daily basis, I will get three or four phishing emails, and I'm not unique. Um, You know, all our staff will be getting phishing emails. Um, The incidence is just through the roof. I think, number one, 
cyber insurance for a company is worth every dollar, every cent. And if you haven't got cyber insurance as a CFO, you know, you're supposed to be in charge of uh, risk management, compliance, and all the rest of it in a, in a corporation. I don't think any corporation can afford not to have cyber insurance because without that, we definitely would have folded. That's probably number one. The second one is don't get bogged down on the whys, why us, it's unfair, woe is me. Like there's no point getting dwelling on that. You really need to stay focused on the end game and just look at what needs to be done day by day and just focus on getting things done. Small steps, eventually you will get out the other side. Sobering thoughts, but John, it's been uh, uh, fascinating to, to hear the story. Um, I would say not necessarily a great story from you, but you, 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 12 months down the track, you are coming out the other side and hopefully a, a better experienced as a result of it. Really appreciate your honesty, your, your openness and, and sharing this, because as I say, there'll be a lot of people listening to this saying that could so easily happen to us. And um, your advice is particular at the end, so valuable. Thank you for your time. Um, thank you for telling us how it happened with you and um, I wish you all the very best as you rebuild a business and, and go from strength to strength thank you very much James and thank you for the CFO magazine John Wise the CFO of Acumentis formerly known as Landmark White we'll have another episode of Then This Happened stories from the business world in a couple of weeks don't forget you don't need to miss an episode simply click on subscribe with any podcast app that you're currently using or go to the podcast section on the website. You've been listening to Then This Happened, a fortnightly podcast brought to you by the CFO Magazine. For more information about the live events around the country, go to cfomagazine.com.au.